listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, we dare you to find any instruments in these tracks. Hello, Acaville Radio. Welcome to another episode of Talkapella. I am your host, Brian. And I'm the other one, John. <laughs> still still a slight work in progress, but I feel like we're, we're almost there. I feel like I'm pulling us back now because I think it's funnier just to be like make the audience uncomfortable, but mm-hmm. it, it works out. Brian, today is a very important day. You know why? Why is that, John? Because it's National Cereal Day. Oh, man, I love cereal. I love cereal so I just much. I love Brian. that there's just like these food days that just like come up out of nowhere and just like, you know what? I can I can celebrate that. And cereal is definitely one of my favorites. I've had nearly three bowls of cereal today, and I'm, I'm just in a good place, and it's really nice. I should probably eat some real food at some point, not just sugar in milk, <laughs> but right now, I'm enjoying it. It's a nice change up from noodles, so, you know, I'm not yeah, going to complain. Oh, hey, yes, noodles. Those, those keep coming up. I always feel bad for the people who are just tuning in if this is their first show. They're like, they're talking about noodles so much. When, when do they get to the acapella? I'm really proud that on most of our episodes, they just start with something nonsensical, and uh, I, th- I think we've done a really good job of keeping that going. That's kind of our thing. I think so, too. You know, we got to give the audience something to warm up to, you know, before we get into the nitty gritty. So, you know what? Whatever works. Whatever works. And clearly <laughs> this works. Exactly. So today I'm actually really excited for our guest that we have on because I actually have a pretty historic connection with our guest today. We have none other than Trent. Laura. Bynum. Oh, close. You know, again. almost Laura, you know, for those oh, who are new sorry, to the show. I just ruined way. It. Okay. But. For today, we have actually my old college roommate, as well as the guy who co-founded our acapella group in college together, the Green Tones. And so we have none other than Trent Bynum. Trent, how's it going? It's going great, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah! Reunions! I know. Those are the best kind of uh, discussions. You know, we can just relive all those past moments and all the glory. And I get a watch. <laughs> you know, right. You're going to be a part of it. Yeah. No, I'm excited. I think these episodes are actually... So great. Anytime someone talks about founding a group, there's always something new. Everyone's like founding story always has something worthwhile to talk about. So whenever someone's like, well, I founded a group with this person, like, yes, let's talk about it. Get them on the show. Because there's always going to be some great conversation from that. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. I'm like, I think it's super important that you get both sides. And then as well, I think it's super important that you can get a dual perspective because normally when you're hearing about founding groups, you hear about the one person, but it's very few occasions you actually get both, you know, both sides at the same time. And so I think that's going to be really, really cool. And and so, Trent, you know, just kind of giving our audience a little background, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, what do you What do you do professionally? You know, what's your connection to music? What are you doing anything musically right now? Did you have any cereal today for National Cereal Day? (laughs) Real question. First of all, thank you very much for pointing out it is National Cereal Day. I appreciate that. Did you have cereal today, though? I saw that the first thing this morning when I checked my phone. I was like, oh, it's cereal day. That's awesome. I haven't even like not that I need an excuse, but now I can actually have cereal in the morning. So I actually treated myself to a big bowl of Cocoa Krispies, which is the uh, old uh, old classic. I remember that now. Now that you said it, I'm like, wait a minute. That's bringing back memories. Well, here's the deal. I don't just regular do Cocoa Krispies. I took it to the next level. So I actually learned a Chocolate beautiful milk. thing. You take the bowl and you put it in the freezer and just let the bowl sit in the freezer. And then what? you have your Cocoa Krispies like in a, f- a frosted bowl and it keeps the milk like super That's, cold. Okay. I've done that. I it's do that amazing. with either the bowl 
And you know, it's another way. Do it with a spoon too. You do oh, both, yeah. but For do sure. it with a spoon that has like a plastic handle or something. But even that gets a little yeah. cold. It's really nice. The tricky thing for me though is I hate chocolate. So I've never had Ooh. Cocoa Krispies. I just, I don't like the taste of chocolate. You can see probably in the episode numbers right there is where like, 30% of the viewers just dropped off and they're going to keep yeah. decreasing for the it's rest. It's fine. I've known some people that didn't like chocolate and they were all horrible people. So I'm sure that yeah, you're the one exception. I am too. I am too. So this oh, is okay. great. I'm just loving, I've just discovered new cereal hacks. So this could oh, be yeah. our, our next hack. line of podcast. Just Everybody freeze, hacks. freeze your bowls, freeze your, it sounds like hide your kids, hide your, <laughs> hide freeze your, your bowls, <laughs> freeze your spoons. Freeze your bowls, freeze your spoons. <laughs> yeah. Because they out here eating all your cereal. Obviously. <laughs> Trying to talk about acapella. Go. So anyway, back to anyway, acapella. back to yeah. So the subject. So I professionally, I'm a, I'm a video editor, motion graphics animator, and videographer. So I stay pretty busy. My company does like corporate events and, and live events and things like that. So I'll very often go film these events, you know, and then I'll come home and I'll edit either for archiving or for marketing purposes or for promotional things, whatever. If we're trying to win an award for something, I'll put together a video package for that. That's, you know, in a nutshell, that's what I do. And what's your experience with acapella? How did you meet this fine specimen, okay. the Brian oh, Alexander? Man. Okay. I mean, I can, there's a Not great detailed, story no. here. What'd you, how'd you get into acapella first off? Well, I guess my first experience with acapella singing, I guess my first proper experience was a classic one in that I was in the Music Man and I was in the quartet, which is what pretty much nice. any barber shopper will tell you. It's like, oh yeah, my first barber shopper, I was in the quartet. Yeah, Lida Rose, love Lida Rose. So I think I had this moment where I was in the performance and I loved it so much. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out a way to do this. There's got to be a way to do this in college. I didn't know that collegiate acapella was a thing at that point. I just knew that I wanted to be involved in some way. And I think that was the summer before I actually went to college. And how I met Brian, we went to University of North Texas in Denton. And I met him through the UNT roommate matching program. Where Cute. Yeah, it was cute. Well, actually, it gets even better because the person I was originally matched with, I don't remember who he was, some guy. We were in the roommate matching program, and we it's just like online dating. As weird as that sounds, exactly what it's like. You fill a little profile. Really? Yeah, yeah, and then they, mm -hmm. they compare your profiles, and then this algorithm matches you based on your interest, what you want in a roommate, what you don't like in a roommate, and it matches you based on that. So I actually got matched with Brian, and then after you get matched, it opens you up to like emailing or chat or whatever. And we started talking, we decided we want to be a roommate. I somehow convinced him that I wasn't crazy. I don't know how did I did Tinder that. Did <laughs> Tinder steal this? Like, is it actually so. based on a roommate I think so, because thing? yeah, this was back before Tinder and all that. Yeah, this was back in like 08. And Trent's li leaving out a very important detail that I always like to bring up. So the well, way we'll see, because I'm halfway through the story, but I'll get oh. there. Okay, so my anyway, bad. My bad. So ahead. it turns out <laughs> I wasn't matched with Brian. I was matched with somebody else. And I was like, no, I want to be matched with this guy. This guy's cool. I don't know this other guy. So I actually wrote a letter to the whoever was running it whatever his name is, I said, hey, I don't want to be matched with this dude. I want to be matched with Brian. And he says, yeah, I'll take care of that for you. So you got You matched. wrote a letter to roommate Tinder. <laughs> yeah, basically. I was like, I was like, hey, man, I just really want to match this guy. He's, he seems pretty cool. So I want to match with him. So we did our thing and ended up being matched. And I remember I actually met Brian by, we were at freshman orientation and I was crossing the street and I saw this dude and I was like, hey, are, are you, are you Brian? Are you Brian Alexander? He was like, yeah, I'm Brian. Are you Trent? Or maybe something like that. And uh, <laughs> that's how we actually met. We were passing yeah. on the street. 
I don't know what Brian. Are you sure this isn't you. the first act of any romantic comedy from the late seventies? You know, 70s? we get that a lot. I don't know if you know how often we get that whenever we tell that story, but that's what happened. Yeah, that comes up way more often than that's beautiful. Care to, was to that relay. was that your? That's is that how beautiful. you remember the events, Brian? Because I remember that our... mostly. There was just one other thing that I always bring up whenever I tell people that story. Okay, and I'm listening. I probably uh, forgot this part. They bring they give you a list of the people that you match with, and I kid you not, on my list, Trent was like in the top three maybe even top two people the way i remember trent telling it was like i was like number 10 or something (laughs) and so i was like one of the last people but that's the way i remember the story being told many years ago i don't remember that but i I believe it i'm sure i'm sure that's (laughs) what happened beautiful and it sounds like this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship that paved the way for some beautiful acapella yeah it did a lot yeah turned out that way kind of kind of crazy i'm pretty sure if i don't know if i hadn't or we hadn't gone through that extra effort green toast probably wouldn't exist at least not the way that uh it does now i don't think so i think it would have definitely been something completely different if not a completely new group that you know wouldn't have gone on to be what it is today had we not been roommates because the group the core founding of it was all based around, you know, we had so much access to each other. We were able to bounce ideas off one another. We were able to just spend late nights just discussing what we wanted out of it. So I think it would have been a completely different experience of not a completely different group had we not been paired together. I think that's a really good point. You know what? That concept of access really reminds me of you see lots of like singer songwriter duos or trios that are siblings or like the group, the staves, they're three sisters and they're just, um, they have amazing blend and they're really good vocalists. And it's a great group where because you have immediate access, you're like in the game more. You're not like on the bench. I'm trying to use sports metaphors because I actually watched <laughs> a Lakers game last night and knew what Brian was talking about on Twitter. You're doing well. You're on. doing well. And I'm curious because you touched on this a little bit earlier. What, how do you think the group would have turned out? How you two not been roommates? I don't know. I have a hard time thinking Brian and I wouldn't have crossed paths somehow. Here's the deal, because Brian was set on founding the group. That was something that I think he told me that was his goal from the beginning, is he wanted to found, find, found, found, found an acapella yeah, found. group. Yeah. yeah, He wanted to found an acapella group. I don't think he wanted to find one. He didn't want to find like, one. Go out I, yeah. Searching. <laughs> he wanted to, to found one. That was like your goal from the beginning. So probably what would have happened is I would have found it eventually. I would have mm-hmm. seen a flyer for the Green Tones and I would have wanted to get involved at that point. But uh, it would have been different because we wouldn't have been roommates. We wouldn't have had that immediate access. We, I'm sure we would have made it work. But it would have been a little mm-hmm. different than, than probably how it was in the beginning. It was a lot easier to have that because I do remember the very first arrangement we did was a classic, like, I think it was one or two in the morning, oh, late man. night arrangement session, which we can get into later how that turned out. Yeah. But that makes a lot of sense because these core ideas were defined. And when you have these very clear, like, well, maybe we don't know exactly when our rehearsal schedule works. So we don't know exactly how we're going to get money from the school government. But we know we are doing this song because we talked about it a lot. And we know exactly you, you can form the identity so much easier when you have all that time to figure it out together. Yeah, and I think, like Trent said, I think the group would have been founded. I wholeheartedly believe that one of us would have been the founders if we had not been roommates, and the other probably would have gotten involved in some way. I think where the roles might have been diverted a little bit differently might have been in the sense of the direction of the group. Those early crucial stages of the group would have been completely different had we not been this team effort. I And I tell this story over and over again, On the Rocks was a big influence on me starting this group because I found their 
their videos. I love their music. And in the early stages of the group, I think we did like one or two on the rocks arrangements. It took him kind of reeling me back in. I'm like, hey, we got to start doing our own thing and kind of developing this personality of the group and developing our own sounds. So I think that the group would have been founded. But like I said, just what it would end up being might have been something completely different. Definitely certain tendencies would either be accentuated and kind of said, yeah, we want to be an on the rocks group or maybe people, cause I don't know what the makeup of the group was, but let's say it was just you who founded it, Brian. And then you were kind of on this on the rocks binge. I've been there too. And maybe because, and this, I don't know exactly how it worked out, but maybe because they don't know a ton about acapella, maybe it's just, they're just like, oh yeah, okay, well this seems to work. Let's keep doing it. And whereas compared to having Trent there to provide not a flat out different, but a contrasting idea on how to create a great group. I think that makes you more diverse. And I think it's so great you two have you two have mm-hmm. found each other and you created <laughs> such a beautiful thing. Trent, what was your experience with, with all this, just from your side? Because I've heard it from Brian's side a couple of times, and I'd love to hear what it was like. Like, what was the first conversation when you were like, hey, do, do you want to start a group? Like, you know, I don't know. Do you want to start a group? Like, how, how did it all get you know, kicked off? I honestly don't remember how it actually led up to it, what it probably was. And I'm just speculating just because of how much I know Brian. He was probably listening to On the Rocks or something in his dorm room. <laughs> and I probably was like, hey, that sounds pretty cool. Or something, I don't know. And then that probably got the conversation started. He told me, I remember he told me that he wanted to start a group. And I was like, how convenient because I want to join a group. I don't remember if I specifically wanted to found one, but I think because Brian wanted to to get it going, I instantly I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Like, this is going to be my college thing. I'm going to start this group, mm-hmm. and this is going to be what we do while we're here. We were determined to get it off the ground. Sorry, my dog just brought in, like, his favorite toy, and it's, like, the most loud, obnoxious, squeaky toy that he has. That's what that is. But anyway, I had a little bit of experience putting music down. Like, because in, in high school, I became, like, self-taught of how to write music, how to read music. I didn't have any like early training or anything like that but it was something I was really interested in and so I spent time like learning how to read learning how to write learning how to write a part Mm -hmm. learning how like the parts of the orchestra and like what instruments play what parts to make you know how a chord works and like what that's basically the fundamentals of music writing but it was all very much self-taught and so it wasn't it wasn't refined. It wasn't polished. There's was a lot of early mistakes that I made in trying to put this together. But I had like the big picture, which is why when Brian was like, we're going to do an arrangement, I was like, well, I have a little bit of experience in like listening to things and writing down what it sounds like. So I was able to transcribe arrangements like an on the rocks arrangement was the first one yeah. we did. And so we spent all night listening to it, writing it down, listening to it, writing mm-hmm. it down. Which and arrangement was it? Insomniac, of course. <laughs> okay. I yeah. I really yeah. like their version of uh, of Demons by Guster. That's Ooh. one of my favorites. I'm, I'm a, I, me a and uh, and Greg, the uh, one of our producers. We we this this is really funny hearing this about you guys staying up late dictating an on the rock song because myself and Greg have stayed up late dictating yeah. an on on the rock song. Um, I'm really curious just now hearing both of you like how the I, I can see how these pieces came together. What was it like? And this is probably the last question we can touch on before we got to wrap up here for at least this segment. What was it like pitching this group to the campus community? Like, how did you sell the community on this group? Because so often I feel like when people talk about founding groups, they're thinking, well, I, we just got to get members. And that's the first thing. But really, 
that's part of it. But while you're getting members, you're also trying to pitch not just the school, not just like the administrators, not just the clubs people that approve you, but just the general, the atmosphere and the feel and the community all on this is this is a group that should exist. How did you do that? Yeah, and I'm curious to hear Trent's response on this, because although we lived together, we were in different majors. And so we had a lot of different out of I don't know how you phrase it correctly, out of room activities or it no, kind yeah. of separated you're, you're us connecting with different people. Yeah, exactly. And so I know that at simultaneously, we were both trying to pitch people in regards to members as well as the university. And there were a lot of different challenges. Um, and we also like some of the people we found were easy and some of the ones we kind of just randomly approached. But I'm curious, Trent, what what was your your experience with all of that? I don't think I've ever actually asked you that before. I probably did a couple of times, but I don't remember like doing a lot of pitching to people. What I do remember was coming home after, you know, a day of class or whatever. And Brian saying, hey, I met this person. We got to let him in the group Um, (laughs) because I was dining at this dining hall and there was a piano and there's someone (laughs) who was playing piano and singing at the same time. And she's so talented. We got to get her in the group. Oh, do you remember who that was? Of course, was I remember play- who it was. Okay, just well, sure. she was playing. Well, it was Brian who was there, but I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, was it Alicia Keys? Was she playing Alicia Keys? No, no, Sarah Bareilles. Was it that one? Sarah Bareilles' love song. Okay, oh. so it was love song. All right, so she was <laughs> yeah. playing love song. As long as it wasn't Wonderwall, I, I think that's <laughs> no, no, it wasn't Wonderwall. <laughs> just casually. For, for some Wonderwall reason, I imagine her singing lounge. Alicia Keys. What is it? If uh, I can't if, have you, is if that I the ain't song? got you, yeah, if it I ain't like got you, yeah. Liz would sing. I'm confident she sang that at some point, but that's the song that I imagined her singing in the in the dorm hall by herself. <laughs> anyway, so that's how we got Liz. Um, there's a couple other core core members that like like I Stephanie was one of our members who was there from the very beginning all the way to the very end. And I met her during my freshman orientation. She was in my like little circle, and we, we kept in touch. I think she lived in our hallway or around the corner of it. Yeah, so she we lived had on signed the, a, I think same floor. Yeah, so we just, you know, we see each other and we talk and that sort of thing. That's how that happened. I'm sure she was interested at that point. Brian, do you remember how you met Bailey? Because I think you brought him in because he was he was key in sort of getting some of the other singers. I think he because he was involved in the music program at yeah. UNT, and Brian and I were not. And so he had connections that we didn't mm-hmm. have. Yeah, and I don't I don't know if I necessarily remember Bailey. I remember we had Whitney early oh, on. Oh yeah, Whitney. I and remember, I know she yeah, was a Kevin. connection to some people. Kevin knew Bailey. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, Kevin knew Bailey. And we're talking about a lot of different members who who were Sorry there about early that. on. These are friends that we have. See, from my perspective, you're just making up names to try to impress me. Exactly. Oh we're just yeah, out like the story. Uh, Richard and, and uh, Reginald. I don't know why I'm saying <laughs> oh, yeah. our names. So just making up names, make him think we have friends. Exactly. You know, yeah. we got to make the story more entertaining. But um, I mean, it was connections. You know, it's like, hey, people that know this guy and, and this person knows this person. And we, that's just how it, it came about. And before we knew it, we were spending afternoons crammed into a little music practice room like trying to we had some guy playing piano and and we were reading the reading the music and trying to get things to happen but i mean that's how the very early days started is it just friends that it had gotten around word of mouth and these guys were interested in in it so some of those people stuck around some of them didn't but it was that thing to answer your question it was very much just sort of hey i know this person who knows this person and we just sort of started by relationships we already had and 
networking, basically. I think one of the big advantages and luxuries that we have that a lot of groups with acapella or who are trying to start an acapella group don't have is we we were at a very big music school. And so one word got around that, you know, we were trying to start this new music endeavor. It wasn't that hard to convince new people, to be honest. I'm like a yeah. lot of people wanted the opportunity to kind of take part in this because, you know, we lived around a bunch of singers, even though our dorm wasn't necessarily eight the music dorm you know people knew of singers people knew of musicians and once they heard that hey this is a new acapella singing venture they kind of just kind of came to us in some form definitely and i just had one more question before we wrap up for this segment just to confirm there was no acapella group at unt before the green tones correct that is correct yeah there was there was no group before us i think once upon a time yeah exactly they're my, I don't remember. Yeah, I think we heard that may, someone had once upon a time tried to start a group, but it never got off the ground or something. We never, I don't remember having the full details of that, but there was never an official group before ours. I think that makes sense because you're offering something that the music building itself, the music school cannot offer or just isn't offering at that time. So when you're saying to music people like, hey, we're starting this, that's an experience they can't get from signing up for a class or an ensemble. You're filling a niche that the school, for whatever reason, isn't. We had similar things. There were kind of jazz groups that started in my undergrad because there wasn't any jazz vocal groups, stuff like that. And this is something that's been talked about on the show before, but the students in acapella serving a role and filling a role that is currently empty, that just due to circumstance, whatever reason, the school isn't filling at that point. And that usually is a great way for groups to take off. So we actually have to take a quick break. We're going to pass it on over to Amanda Tran with Notable Coverage, but they're going to be right here talking with Trent Bynum and Brian Alexander and me. And I don't know why I'm yelling. I'm naming everybody right now, but we're going to talk with all of us about the green tones and we're going to be right back. You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, where people know the hashtag symbol, is for more than social media. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Notable Coverage here only on Tacapella on Acaville Radio. I'm your host, Amanda Tran, and every week on Notable Coverage, I talk about a different song that has been done numerous, numerous times in the acapella world and kind of break down why that may be. For episode 24, we are talking about Bottom of the River by Delta Ray, not to be confused by River by Bishop Briggs, which I definitely talked about in a previous episode. Bottom of the River is by this awesome band, Delta Ray, kind of Americana rock, soulful, really awesome. Definitely check them out if you only know this song. Bottom of the River has been in sets since the release of this song, and I honestly have gotten really tired of it. Even this past acapella competition season, I'm not going to name any groups, not even going to say if it was a high school or college group, I heard the song in their set. And yes, although it is very impressive and sounds really cool and is very intense and is easily a song that you can show emotion and power in, it's very predictable. So if I'm in the audience or judging and I hear this song, I'm automatically turned off just because it has been completely overdone. The reason why I believe this song has been done so many times is that right when you listen to the original version, it starts out completely acapella. Any songs that have any acapella components in them, I feel like 
arrangers and acapella groups are automatically like, oh my god, we need to do this song. And I'm definitely guilty of that, and I still do that. But still, there's no excuse. You should try to make it your own in any way that you can. Along with that, um, the melody in this tune is super memorable, relatively easy, and the harmonies are, they just sound great, even though they're predictable harmonies. They just sound amazing. And there's also an aspect of gang vocals, which is also a really cool and fun aspect and powerful moment in a live set, I believe. The solo in the song Bueno of the River is very soulful. And if you are able to pull it off, it's a super impressive solo because the range is really big. You have to have certain intensity and tenacity to sing it. And also the ability to emote that much emotion in the solo as well. The backgrounds of the song are super percussive. There's like a lot of sound effects like chains, a lot of like really cool, intense drumming sounds, which definitely um, translates into stomping and clomping that you can, that a lot of groups have incorporated into their set, which is really cool because for so long, I feel like vocal percussion or just percussion of the rhythm section in general has been limited to vocal percussion, but a lot of groups that are able to add in aspects of body percussion, all that kind of stuff, it's been really cool and unique. And this song definitely calls for that. It's kind of just already built in. So big reason why a lot of the groups are doing this song. And on that note, the stomping and clapping and body percussion definitely adds a huge aspect to the group's choreography and visual effectiveness. And I feel like stomping, clapping, etc. is not really done a lot. And so anytime a group adds it into their set, it's just really cool and fresh. So I love that aspect, but please do it in a different song. <laughs> Bottom of the River is an amazing song, but at this point, every single version that I've heard has been completely the same. And I don't know, I feel like it detracts from your group's ability to perform a competitive set if you're just doing a song that is predictable. All that being said, here's an incredible version of my vocal rush. You'll probably remember them on Sing Off on season four, I believe. Or if you're just like super into the acapella world like I am and just know a whole bunch of useless acapella information, you will remember Vocal Rush. They're an incredible high school group that is amazing every single year. Um, so yeah, this is their version of Bonham of the River. Oh, baby, it's a long way down, a long way down. If you get sleep or if you get numb. The cops gonna call in the morning, baby. Check your cupboard for your daddy's gun. so much again for tuning in to Notable Coverage here only on Tacapella. I'm your host, Amanda Tran. If you want to talk about acapella, different covers, definitely at me on all social medias. It's at Amanda Tran Rocks. That's at Amanda Tran, R-O-C-K-S. And I'll talk to you later. Bye.
listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, we dare you to find any instruments in these tracks. And welcome back to Tacapella. Hey, everybody. This has been a super fun episode so far. Um, Brian, myself, and Trent, we've been talking all about how Brian and Trent founded the Green Tones. We had a ton of fun at the beginning, especially talking about stuff not related to acapella at all, like basketball. That one was new. Um, cereal. Uh, so many different things. Brian and I haven't even gotten to discussing that Arrow is canceled now. We were going to no. talk about that. We <laughs> And there's so many things to talk about, but we're actually mm-hmm. just going to focus on acapella because I feel like we, we just love to talk about everything else besides that. Trent, you were talking kind of at the end there, the environment in which you and Brian created the Green Tones. I've talked a lot about how Puget Sound and Colorado State, where I started my groups, it was really easy to start a group. The other one, it was pretty hard. And I think it's so easy for people to think that starting a group is all just based on like how hard the founders work. And obviously that's a big part of it, but the success also can just come down to factors outside of your control. Like how receptive is the campus environment to an acapella group? What are the resources available? So can you tell me a little bit about what it was like? You talked a bit about who you pitched it to, but what was it like pitching uh, the Green Tones as an organization to the campus body at UNT? Sure. So you can't just walk onto UNT campus and join a choir. It's not really that easy because they take their choirs very seriously. They want people that are music majors or people that are taking certain classes to be able to join a choir because the music school there is very selective. And so they make it difficult just to walk in and join. So as a result, you have a very large you know, group of the student body that maybe they were in a, a choir in high school and they want to continue to do that, but because they're not taking the right class or because for whatever reason their schedule won't let them do it, they can't join an official choir. And I was certainly in that category. I wanted to join a choir, but I couldn't because I didn't qualify for anything. I was a film and TV student, so I couldn't take any music classes, at least not my first year. We found people, like-minded people that wanted to be singers, but weren't necessarily part of the music program. And so that was very helpful for us. People that were talented people, But just because of the way that the school was set up, they had no outlet other than, you know, what we could give them. So you talked a little bit about basically how the school felt about us. And I have some very strong thoughts on that. So, (laughs) All right, let's hear them. Did you get in any like gang wars or any turf wars with like the theater club, like kind of on Glee, where there's yes, like actually, the football but players that's and a different the slushies? Story. Like this oh, is man, our territory. Please tell here. me like so, something like that happened. Well, like I said, so that's a whole different topic that I'm very happy to touch on. Brian knows I feel very <laughs> passionately about those things. Oh, I do. But the school basically says up front that they want to. They tell you in freshman orientation is like we want you to start student groups and student clubs. We want you to do all of these things, and they they tell you that that's the environment that they want the school to have and they say that UNT makes it easy for you to do that and technically they do but the UNT music school because how I said a minute ago they're mm. very prestigious I, I guess people know they they going. don't want music clubs to exist and they won't ever tell you that our perspective was that they made it difficult for us because they would have much rather us to just go away and I'm not just saying that I'm telling you because they found little ways to make our lives more difficult in that they would put some artificial restrictions on us, selective rule enforcements, that things that applied to us just because of who we were. 
we had to really read the fine print and make sure that we could be officially recognized by the school. Okay, so this is great. They set up this little catch in there where they say in order to be an official UNT organization, you have to be endorsed by someone who's in the school. So because we were a music mm-hmm. group, we have to be officially endorsed by a mm. faculty staff member at UNT, which kind of sets it up. We're like, I feel like that's rules designed that they don't, no faculty and staff member would actually endorse that. So I don't know how many people we talked to, but we had the hardest time finding somebody that would endorse us because so really? many of them, they didn't want us to exist because they yeah. wanted they wanted to have full control over it. They didn't want contemporary acapella. Like that's not something they want to promote. They don't take that seriously. And so, like I said, they would have much rather us to just kind of go away. But we had a connection. One of the people in our group actually knew somebody who was a voice te- teacher and he he liked what we were doing and he supported us and he officially endorsed us. And once we got his signature, there was very little the school could do to keep us from, for example, and one of the things they would do to keep us from a, being successful is they wouldn't let us rent rooms for a rehearsal. Oof. They wouldn't, they would not give us a space because you can't reserve a room unless you're officially endorsed by the school and you can't be officially resourced by the school. And, you know, it's this whole thing that they set up systematic, I think is the word for it. Yeah. Where they kind of, they, they, they don't want you to, uh, to get in school. Uh, they don't want you to, to kind of get a foothold. But once we got that signature, it opened us up to be able to officially reserve rooms and like say the UNT Green Tones are going to have this room on these days from these times and there's nothing anybody can do about it. They can't just kick us out and not to be negative about overly negative about it. But these were things that we had to actively fight against to sort of make our group a possibility. And these and I think those are some of the hangups that might cause problems for other other people, they either they give up or they they didn't have the luck that we had, where we actually had somebody in the group that was in with one of the faculty members, and they were able to, to sign the paper. Because without that, this, that signature, we were not official, and that was you know very fortunate for us to be able to have that. But it's just an example of sort of systematically how they tried to eliminate our groups from existing. I feel like I've kind of gone off the rails here. But no, that's these were you. yeah, these were um. The things that we were dealing with. No, I can I can back up and vouch for everything that you're saying. I'm like, everything that he just spoke is absolutely true. And in my mind, and I, I can't ever remember if this was ever said or this ever came out in discussion, but it was just like, in my mind, it was just like the, the school of music or the college of music, my bad, didn't want us taking away their singers, didn't want us to take away the people that they had coming to the program in ways, at least that's the kind of the, the thought process that I kept coming back to every time that we deal with those early resources. Exactly. And I remember even before, because the the instructor that Trent's referring to who ended up being our faculty representative person, they were actually our second one because just to get signed off and just to, just so we could even exist and just begin anything. I remember I had to go to my biology lab instructor. She was the the person over my lab. And I was like, hey, we're trying to start up this brand new group. No one is wanting to take a chance on us. We just want to sing some music. Can you please sign this piece of paper that says you will represent us so we can exist? And she just signed off, didn't have no idea what she was signing. And I do remember that. That's that's amazing. This is so interesting for me because my experience at both of the groups I founded, one at University of Puget Sound and one at Colorado State, 
tons of support from the faculty, both in both places. And it's worth noting that in both schools, my group, the Timberman at University of Puget Sound and the Mountain Horns at Colorado State, my grad school, both times those were the fourth groups that were being founded at the school. So what I'm seeing here is like probably what those first groups at my schools had to go through. Maybe not exactly the same thing, because I think both schools had a very positive relationship, at least when I was there with contemporary acapella. But I was not there when the ground was being broken, when the trail was kind of being burned and set. So I think it's really inspiring with what you guys are doing, because you're not just creating a group and that's it, and you're in a bubble. You're setting a precedent that acapella is a valuable, worthwhile experience, and that precedent is being reinforced through like school documents. And that is creating not only like a quote unquote legal or official precedent, but that's also adjusting like, I feel like probably the mood somewhat of, okay, well, if the school of music really hates the first group, but it got through, they're probably not gonna fight crazy hard for the second group that tries to get started, stuff like this. And it's disappointing for me to hear that the faculty kind of gave you guys a hard time because I'm a choir director. I'm My goal is to eventually like, you know, be a choir director at a school of music and the notion that they wouldn't want to support all kinds of music making. It's just this great way to have that kind of almost like a lap choir thing and it's such a bummer that you guys have had to kind of deal with this dichotomy. I'm curious, you know, you talked about kind of the logistical sense and logistical hurdles you faced. How did the lack of support from the school to music just affect the feel and the mood of the group? Because it was always really great, especially now my group at Colorado State that's still going like, I think they, they have such a good relationship with the school of music. Like one of the, the faculty advisor is like the head of the choral music ed program. Half of the students are in this one voice teacher studio. So they get like, if his studio goes to my old group's concerts, they get extra credit. So they have this reinforcement of, oh yeah, we're doing the right thing. The faculty says, this is a good thing to do. How did it affect the emotional feel of the group knowing that the school of music was not on your side? I got something for this specific, like, so I had this moment that I will never ever forget where I was walking down the halls of the school of music. I was going to a class or something and I saw one of the faculty members going around to all of our posters that we had on the wall for auditions no. and, and taking them down. Yeah. I was watching her do it. Hmm. And I was noticing, because like I, I hung all those posters up myself, so I would watch them, make sure they were still up, and they kept disappearing. And I watched this person, I still remember who it was, going around and looking at it, ripping them down. And I confronted her. I was like, excuse me, is there a problem? And she was trying to tell me, she gave me all of this BS about how we can't post flyers in the, in the school of music about these things. Because in her reasoning, which might have been technically correct, I'm not sure, was how like we were posting audition flyers and we were saying that we wanted, we were hosting auditions and we were going to host them in this room at this time. And she said it was some like insurance nightmare to have these flyers what? out. Because, what she was telling me, okay, this is wow. great. So she was like, no. So like, what if somebody off campus gets this flyer and then they come here and like, we don't know how many people are going to show up. We can't sustain that many people. We could have people lined up out the door. And what are we supposed to do about that? We don't have insurance for that. This person has clearly never been to an acapella audition. No, I don't she think was seen. horrible. She mm -hmm. was like, I didn't have a rival in college. At least I don't think so. But she was very close to my <laughs> rival. She was somebody I could not get away from, like, as much as I mm -hmm. tried. And I, like, ugh, she was so infuriating. But, like, she actively tried to shut us down and, like, tried to give us all this BS. But we jumped through her hoops. Mm -hmm. I think that after, what did she tell us that we needed to write, specify this, that, and the other? We did. Exactly. We, like, rolled out 
constitution, wrote, got every oh form signed. We were like, tell us what we need to do and we'll do it. And we did. But it was like, why are you ripping posters down? There are posters everywhere uh, that yeah. say meet here at this time and you're not giving us like, that's what I mean when I say selective rule enforcement, where they were going around because people knew who we were. Like people knew who the mm-hmm. green tones were. I think by this point we had like, we had become somewhat of a name and we knew that the mm-hmm. school didn't like us. So mm-hmm. that was how that affected us. As far as the morale of the group, though, I don't remember yeah. it having any effect. I remember that Brian and I, and especially anybody who was in the group, like, this is us. There was a real sense of family and uh, unity and that this yeah. is what we were doing, and no one is going to tell us that we can't do it. We're going to do this whether the school likes it or not, basically, was how we put things. Now, granted, it was a lot easier when eventually we got the school on board and we were able to book audition rooms and, and concert halls. And I think by year three or four, those are much easier because we had oh, we yeah. finally had them on board. But you know, that was stuff that Brian and I would handle. We had a couple other people that would help us out with the logistics, but like as far as the the morale of the group, like that wasn't something that kept them down. We were we were all in and that was a big part of it was having the that many people that believed in what the group was and wanted to be a part of it. And I think that one thing we did really well, or at least in the early years, even though we might not have been all that great, we were able, as Trina says, to instill this kind of sense of pride in the group and the sense that, hey, we're starting something new. You guys are going to be a part of it. There was a very big sense of family. We heard throughout all the years we did the group that some of the some of our members greatest moments in college were things they did within the group so although we had all these outside and external forces kind of trying to beat down on us and not wanting us to kind of prevail with all of this members couldn't be more proud to be part of the group but at least the people that came and and, you know gave enough time to the group to actually for it to mean something they never felt you know, that this wasn't something that wasn't worth their time. This was always something people made sure that they gave their time and energy to, you know, at times, you know, with any group, you know, you kind of have your ebbs and flows with it. But over this, over the whole four year span of time, the the people that kind of gave it, put in their effort, you know, they couldn't have been more proud of what we were doing. You know, there's a great photo that we have of the very first members of the group. I know that Brian still has it. It was like once we got, I think we didn't take it until he has it tattooed on his back. Actually, probably. Don't give away my secrets. This was taken at the very beginning of, of 20, 2009, which is our our second semester in the group. And if you look at that picture, I would say a majority of the people that were in that group were in it for three years or more. Would you agree? Like we had a cu- we had a couple of people that kind of fell off, but most of them were there for for the long run, which yeah. says a lot about that core group. And there's something that I kind of have to get off my chest. So like Brian and I always refer to ourselves as the co-founders. I think in reality, like yes, we were the co-founders, but so was every other one of those people that were in there for all three or four years. So mm-hmm. you know, we they were such a big part of the core of the group. So I, I feel like a lot has to be. A lot of credit has to be given to them as the people that were there from the very beginning. Yeah, I agree. I think that's why we I at least when I try and talk with people about them, I make sure to mention founding members because there were a handful of like Trent said, although we were founders, there were a handful of founding members who who gave most of their collegiate time to the group. So, yeah, without their energy and without their connections, because a lot of them were also responsible for bringing more people into the group and working hard and having a, a role within the group. So it was, you know, definitely a team effort. 
That's really great. And I think that's something that can easily be overlooked. It can be really easy to be like, well, I founded this group. I did this. <laughs> and yeah. I know that's been tricky for me because, and I've, I've touched on this briefly before, in both of my groups, in both of the two groups I started, the first like group of each of those most pretty much all of those members did not last the year. It was really the second wave of each of them. Mountain Horns, it was me and four other guys. All four of them were gone by the end of semester. I started totally new at the beginning of the year. And then that group is like what I consider the founding members because that was like the first time everyone was bought in and it was a, I rebooted it kind of. And same with Timbermen. We had three other members, one who left at the end of the semester, one who graduated, who, who was great, but, and then one who left after one year and it was for both of those ensembles like the second round that really felt like okay now we're the core group now we know what this is like and now we're all invested and I think that's something that it's it's just good for people who are founding a group to recognize that it's okay if you if the people you invite in or the people who audition it's you know it doesn't feel great when someone leaves a group doesn't feel great if they don't stick around but if you can take their criticisms or if you can examine the ensemble from an outside point of view and really try to not only keep it going, but keep it going and uh, fine tune it and get better. There people do want to invest in these things. I, I think that it's important for people not to get too discouraged by if, if, you know, let's say they don't have an experience like yours, um, Brian or Trent, where the people who come together are a family. Maybe they have one more like mine where it's, yeah, it was, it became a family after the second year. In the second year, that's where it became a family. And I think there's probably a huge spectrum in between there. Where maybe half the people are really invested and half the people drop off. And I, I guess I just want people to know, like, it's all right if, if it isn't perfect the first time through, but strive for what Trent and Brian have created with creating those bonds with each other because, you know, we're talking about the adversity you guys had to face. I, I have to imagine that the adversity you faced from the music department and still persevering definitely bonded you guys to a degree like, yeah, we like, maybe we didn't have the easiest road, but we all survived it together and that bonds us together. And I have to imagine that created kind of this sense of pride and this sense of family that frankly, I, I sometimes I feel the earlier iterations of my group is lacking and that's okay because we got it eventually. And as long as you're striving towards those connections of like kind of familiar relations and also enjoying each other's company, whether it's through hardship or, or lack of dedicated members or dedicated members, it's still going to be an inherently very enjoyable experience. Yeah. And something that I, I, I think I've at least tried to stress in probably one of our past uh, recordings or, or episodes is trying to find members value. You know, what is their source of value? Where do they derive value from? And, you know, that was what for at least racked my mind so much in those early years of the group because I was so focused on my own personal value and here's what I wanted the group to be and not realizing, hey, for some members of the group, this is about family. You know, these people are have just moved to a new school. You know, they're far away from friends and other people that they care about. They need some source of family. Some people like myself in those early years were just like, I'm just so focused. I want the best possible music we can absolutely create and everything else needs to take a back seat. And then some other people, you know, they just need an outlet. And so as soon as uh, the quicker you're able to find 
where their value lies and what they're hoping to get out of it, that goes a long way into creating like like we've been discussing those members who are really passionate about the group, who are willing to give their all, who are willing to make it the absolute best thing it could possibly be. And, you know, that's that's the positive energy that you want with every group. But that only comes from, you know, looking collectively instead of just introspectively at the end of the day. Gonna sign it better myself. So true. Trent, do you have any last thoughts about, you know, things that we face with the group or, you know, at the end of the day, what we're able to accomplish with the green tones or anything of that nature? Yes, I I do. I mean, getting emotional. Absolutely. So, I mean, we had, I know that Brian and I sort of fell into our strengths. We found what our strengths were and that Brian had this big picture idea of what he wanted the group to be. I was, I felt like I was way more in the logistical world of like, well, if you want that done, you have to do A, B, and C. You can't just like wish it into existence. And so we, we have to just kind of like, he would say, I want to do this. And I was like, great, here's how we do that. And we kind of break it down. So those, I feel like our personalities kind of played to that a little bit. And that helped that helped us find our balance. But there was several people in the group that sort of, they didn't fall into their roles. But I think, I think what was it, the second year, Brian, we figured out that we needed to actually expand the roles of some of the group. And we sort of like said, all right, we need a choreographer. We need somebody who is uh, the visual director and can, can tell us like, you know, if we, if we want to take this to the next level, we need to get, we need to have people be a little bit more involved in it and, and kind of expand the roles. And so we had music directors. I was a secretary role. So I was the one who was responsible for like making sure everybody knew where to meet and when and sort of coordinations and things like that. We found the roles that we played and that, that definitely helped us logistically kind of get the group off the ground. I honestly don't know how they're doing it now. Um, I'm sure they kind of found their own groove, but that's what we did. Does that answer the question? I think it does. Yeah, I think so. I'm like, that was, that's kind of what I was hoping to kind of hear just your your take on it. Of course, the group has evolved into something different, but I'd like to think in a way that, you know, structure kind of outlasts us. Well, you know, we, we ran the group the way we wanted to run the group. And of course, at the time I had this vision of like, well, we're going to lay the groundwork and then we're going to be the founding fathers. And then people years from now, will do it the exact same way we're doing it now. And like, that's sort of how we wanted to do it. But I think after I graduated, I had this epiphany where I was like, you know, we ran the green tones the way we wanted to run the green tones. We created a group that is designed to be run by the people who are in it. And so if the group now, if they are running it the way they, that works for them, great. This is y'all's group. You do with it what you want to do and make it successful. And that's why I have just sort of like said, hey, y'all do your thing. It's not about what we did years ago. It's about evolving and taking the group and making it. The people that are in it now can do with it what they want to do with it. And they're doing a great job, by the way. <laughs> I, I really love what the Green Tones are doing now. That's just an example. Of like They took it. We We kind of like laid the groundwork and made something that they can use and now they've run with it and they've turned it into something way bigger than what we originally had those years ago exactly and that's great yeah the point was to kind of leave a legacy and you know they're still going today so hopefully we can say we did something right I think you did. Just me having a chance to almost kind of interview both of you here in this kind of, um, and seeing both sides of this. This has been really great. Uh, we're going to take one more quick break and pass it on over to Lisa Hawkins with Asking for Directions. Then we're going to be right back here on Tacapella. Yeah. 
You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, we dare you to find any instruments in these tracks. Hello, my name is Lisa Hawkins, and welcome to Acapella's mini-segment, Asking for Directions. In a few previous episodes, I've talked about how it's necessary to build a community to get your members and audience to engage in care and how there are a variety of things you need to make this happen. So I want to continue on that track and focus on another aspect you need to build a community, and that's creed. So first, what is creed? Creed is a set of beliefs that guide someone's actions. And that sounds a little bit weird when said like this, but we've seen this everywhere and it can be so simple, like Nike's just do it slogan, or whenever Ellen says, be kind to one another at the end of her show. These aren't exactly mission statements, but it communicates what they stand for and what you should believe about these products and or people. So in short, creed is the singular notion you want people to believe. So when thinking about your acapella group, think about what you want people to believe about you. So this applies to your audience and your fellow singers. Defining and communicating this is critical to the success of your group because confused singers aren't motivated and confused audiences aren't likely to buy into your music. So you have to start inside your group though, right? Because you want to start there and then work outwards. But what do you want your group to be about? Why do you exist? Why should people want to sing in your group? And the statement may be a little different than the one you announced to your audience, but the general energy and idea should be the same because you want the audience to believe that you are truly dedicated to your quote unquote creed. And think of something that is unique to your group because every group wants to have fun and share the music. So we need to be a little bit better than that if we want to succeed and reach your audience beyond the service level, right? And it can be a catchphrase or it can be a part of your mission statement, but whatever it is, make it short and easy to digest so people can walk away remembering what your group is about. So this can really set you apart from other groups and people will gravitate towards it if you have a clearly stated belief of what your group is about. It makes you relatable, unique, and interesting, which are all the things that audiences are looking for. And not only that, but having a belief creates community and attracts others that have the same desires or mindset. So it can really grow your community. Now, I've said this before, but people want to feel like they belong to something bigger. So give them the experience that by being at your concert, they are. That they are a part of a bigger mission statement. And at the end of the day, creating a community is your end goal, both inside and outside of your group. Music is communication, so communicate with them your reason for existence, both through your music and through your creed. So that's it for this week, and I will keep sharing more ways to build a community, both inside and outside of your group. So tune in next week, but if you have any specific questions, I'd love to hear them. You can post them on any of Acaville's social media sites or reach out to me personally. Again, my name is Lisa Hawkins, and thanks for joining me on this week's mini-segment, Asking for Directions. You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, where people know the hashtag symbol, is for more than social media. And welcome back to Tacapella. This has been episode 76, The Green Tones. This has been so much fun. I've had the chance to talk to Brian and to Trent. We've all kind of interviewed each other a little bit and talked about the founding of The Green Tones at UNT. It's been really fun for me 
to see this kind of deconstruct this process and pull out little nuggets of information and just for all of us to talk about how inherently fun founding a group is, the challenges that come with that, and the rewards, I think. And that's what we really focused on near the end, is talking about how worth it it is to do all this kind of stuff. So Trent, what we always do, how we wrap up each episode, is we ask our guests their biggest piece of advice for the acapella community. That can be, I always want someone to give a piece of advice to one person in the acapella community. Like, hey, Danny, you need to learn your part at Measure 74. No one's ever done it. I'm hoping someone will one day. Probably not now. So your biggest piece of advice, whether it's to directors, people who want to found groups, people who don't even sing acapella, who just happen to be listening, whatever you want to say to the acapella community. Right. So I'll I'll start off and be, and in general, I'll say that to anybody who maybe is starting a group or is considering if you're any leadership in the group, I would say that uh, just as in actually singing and actually performing where you have to listen to your group and listen to what's going on around you and adjust what you're singing to that, make sure to be listening to your group itself. Listen to what their needs are. Listen to like when they're telling you, especially when you have sort of dissenting opinions about what sort of music you should be singing or how you should do this and the other. I know that one of the things that I overcame when I was trying to lead was that you want to, when you have a vision of what you want the group to be, you want that vision to take place. But Sometimes it's important to kind of step back and listen to what the group is telling you they want to do and then figure out how to get them to that point. If your group wants to introduce a new genre of music or they want to maybe try something new with their arranging, arranging, listen to what they're saying and then and then try to put, if you have an ego, you know, any issues that sort of put that aside and try and just lead by listening to what the group needs at that time. I would also say and when it comes to arranging music, I know I got hung up in trying to create something that was identical to whatever the original cover was, but I learned it was way more effective to do your own interpretation of what that cover was instead of trying to exactly replicate it. So taking it and sort of putting your own artistic creative spin on it is very helpful. And I think the last thing, very specifically, learn your parts, (laughs) study your parts, take the time to read the music, practice it. Do not be the person who goes in in music rehearsal and sort of wings it. I mean, there are those people. Brian knows the people. At least one. I'm sure they. I've done it, and it's horrible. Like you, just sit down, learn the parts, know the parts. It makes so much of a difference when you're not sitting there. Like real life gets in the way. I get it all the time. You're just like ah, you know, whatever. I can sight read. I can list. You know, I can sing by ear or whatever. No, like sit down, spend the 10 minutes, 20, 30, an hour, whatever it takes to get that part down because you're really going to help move the group forward. When everybody does that, you're going to you're not going to waste any time in rehearsal. If you just go in and you should be spending your rehearsal time, if you are learning the music in rehearsal, you're doing it wrong. You need to be learning music outside of rehearsal and then practicing your music during rehearsal. That's when you're getting the the subtleties and the nuances down. You're talking about the musicality. You're not talking about the actual notes at that point. So that's my technical note is like, don't be that person. Actually learn your music. Uh, that's all I could say about that. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> well said, man. I, I feel yeah. like that's uh, coming from the your past experience as a music director there. So. I, no, I've been that person. I've been oh, the person you? who's oh. like, I'm just going to go in there and wing it. I don't feel like learning my part today. I'll just listen to the guy singing next to me. and I'll, No, don't do that. <laughs> it's not good for you. It's not good for the person singing next to you. It's not good for the group. So just, you know, do <laughs> That's what I wish I could tell myself. So that's why I'm saying mm-hmm. that. Don't be that guy, in other words. Don't be right? that guy. 
Well, Trent, thanks so much for coming on today. It's been great having you. It's been a blast. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I've had fun, man. It's been it's been great to uh, relive those moments and just kind of get that other other side. You know, I, it always appears to be one side of when I'm saying it, but uh, it's just kind of reaffirmed the things that I've been saying and, you know, shedding light on other things. So it's been great. Definitely. Trent, if people wanted to get a hold of you, see what you're all about, talk to you about acapella, how could they do that? So I have a Twitter handle. It's Trent B Media. It's a good handle. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. I don't always use Twitter, but when I do, it's uh, I use Twitter. That's all I can say about that. Great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you might see me tweet out about John Williams or something. It's probably what I'm tweeting about. I hear or he some does other... some music stuff too. Yeah, you know, he's done a couple things here and there. Brian, what about you, man? Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at the Brian Alex. Occasionally, I'm on there and talking about sports, music, food, whatever is on my mind that day. And for everything else, always go follow the work I do with College Acapella. Nice. And then you can find me in the same place at John Lampus on Twitter and Instagram and on the A Little Anarchy Movie Podcast. All right, everyone. That's it. That's the show. Go home. Thanks for listening. And for everything else, acapella, please stay tuned. You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, we dare you to find any instruments in these tracks. Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba